Welcome everyone to another episode of the Chronicles of Mister. This week's podcast is with the fabulous Nikki Reed, who currently serves as a principal for a charter school in Hartford, Connecticut. This was an amazing conversation with an enormous amount of gems dropped, so much so that my customary introduction had to be remixed due to just being so engaged in the pre-podcast conversation with Nikki. So without further ado, here's the fabulous conversation with the magnificent Nikki Reed. As a teacher shortage, as a teacher short, because one of the problems I have as a leader is the fact that we don't have the people in place because they don't exist. Yeah. You know what I mean? We are dealing with a, a place that we knew was coming. As I was saying to somebody the other day that we always knew it was coming. I heard someone else say this. We knew it was coming. We knew the teacher shortage. Mm-hmm. But, and it's been in the inner city schools for years. Like we've always had a problem with teacher shortage and high turnover. And of course, now that it's affecting suburban schools, it's a problem. It's an issue. It's something going on. We need to do something about this. We've known it for the longest. And in my mind, I, I, I think there's some ways we can fix that. And I think we should start looking at that now that it is COVID. What can we do to decide it's, hap- it's going to happen? We're going to have high turnover. We're going to have a lot of things. So what do we do to fix that so that we don't keep going around the same pole and our kids keep getting six and seven teachers a year? And if they do get six or seven, what does that look like so that they can still keep their continuous learning going? Yeah. And I think that's the problem you solve. Not continue to say it's a problem. Okay, let's move past that. We know that. How do we fix it until the problem is no longer a problem? I think that's a great place to to start in our conversation because okay for for me as a teacher I know that my reach goes as far as my principal like I have my principal's ear however I don't have the the board's ear they're not going to mm-hmm. listen to me the same way they're going to listen to my principal um, if I don't personally know them and uh, am able to like speak to them to say the things that need that I feel like need to be said um, and I think that's the part at least here that I'm trying to create of like, all right, who is the person at LAUSD on the board that I need to speak to? Because like you said, I've known this. I didn't have to be, have to come from Connecticut to tell you that this was going to, this is reality. Like I've seen it. I, every school that I've been to, I've been there and have watched teachers come in two, three months. They recognize, oh snap, this is difficult. I have the privilege to leave. So I'm going to leave. Whereas myself, I'm just like, nah, I'm sticking to this until the end of the year, until my principal says like, hey, Willie. And I'm like, all right, fine. I was here for the year. I finished out. Absolutely. Uh, I think, I think though that there's a false, um, not false, but um, a misconception that because I'm a principal, I have the board's ear. And one of the reasons why I say that is because charter school boards are not made, they're just different. Well, boards, period. I've never been I wasn't a leader at a, when I worked in the public schools, I wasn't a leader. So I don't know how the board worked as far as the leadership of the school, school-based. But what I find, except for when I worked in um, the, a big conglomerate like achievement first, I was, I did have the opportunity to be a, a, a teacher representative. So I was on the board. Mm-hmm. I didn't have voting rights, but I got to be as a part of it. But every board I've seen sort of functions as a support to the executive director, but not necessarily a direct line to the, the leadership of the schools or to the children that they're actually serving. And I hope that at some point, my dream, and I probably have said this to you before, is to start my own school. So at some point when I do do that, I want to make sure that I remember that, yeah. that a board shouldn't be so far removed. And I'm not saying that they're doing it on purpose. I don't think that it's something that's done intentionally. I think it's just, you do what people did before you. Yeah. And so I don't even know what that would look like, but I know that there needs to be something where there's a more active role as far as what do the, like, just like I expect executive director to ask questions of what my staff needs, like, and he does come in and do those things. I expect the same thing for the board to come in and say to the principal and not feel like 
that if I'm saying what it is, I'm somehow um, being disruptive or dismissive to the executive director. I'm just stating what I feel and see as a leader, what we could do differently. And so I find myself as a woman um, often feeling like my voice is too much for the places that I'm in. Mm -hmm. And so when you just said knowing who you are, recently that's been my, my challenge to myself to find that again. Because as a teacher, I was very clear, like I'm in my room, I do what I'm doing, it's my room. You know, in some spaces, I was very much like that, but it became a thing of, um, we like your voice, we like what you have to say when it's to benefit us. And I found that all through my life, like you sound good, you're such well-spoken, I love your thoughts, your ideas, you're, you've got these creative things until it no longer matches what you say. And then it's like, yeah, you're doing too much. Mm -hmm. And I've had people from different, you know, different formats and people say, well, maybe, maybe Nikki, you need to change some. And I think to myself, of all the people that I've seen in leadership, they've changed, but not who they were. They've worked, you know, worked ways to fit in the room. And so even with these earrings, it's funny you said that because about four years ago, I was on a trip. I'd taken some students to China from actually from, from Hyville. And uh, we couldn't take everybody wanted to take, but we made the opportunity. When I got there, I was wearing all kinds of earrings like this. And the guy mentioned, you have really cool earrings or something like that. And I said, I don't wear them to work. And at the time he said, why not? I said, because I don't feel like I feel comfortable to wear them because I felt like that wasn't okay. And even though, I, I mean, I wear my Afro sometimes, but not the way I really wanted to wear it. Like I wanted to wear it big and I wanted to wear bold. And I used to feel like, although it wasn't said that that wasn't a place. And now we're full of black children. Yep. We have all these black people, yep. but there was nothing on the wall that represented. There was no, and when we, when someone did attempt, I remember someone making a comment of like, not don't, you're not going to put something like that Langston Hughes on the wall. And I was like, people not know these are black people that work here and mm -hmm. go to school here. Like that's what should be on the wall. Yep. And so when I, I made it a, a, a conscious effort when I got to my new school that I was going to wear the earrings and I was going to sometimes put on the head wraps and sometimes my hair shaved on the side and I'm going to do the things that represent Nikki. And as I've grown more into who I, reminding myself of who I am and finding my voice again, I've said, this is who I am. Now we got two choices. You can let me rock with the weather who I am or you can say, this is not the spot for you. And that's okay too. There's nothing wrong with that. As long as you've given me a fair opportunity to, to do it, I'm good. I So I'll uh, start the uh, podcast officially. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> and gotcha. then get, but everything you're saying, Nikki, is exactly it. And what I'm hoping that this podcast is going to show others, just authenticity. I, yeah. I know at AF, I couldn't be my 100% self. Yeah. And the first, I got there in December, um, that last half of the year with that sixth grade cohort was a blessing, was a blessing mm -hmm. because it helped me unlearn a lot of the things. And I'll give credit to you. I'll give credit to Mr. Bond. I'll give credit to Dr. Mitchell, man, Kenneth. Whew. Yes. I tried to get him where I am now and it just didn't work out. We were all, we were almost at the point, but I tried to get him here because that is a man who is why the system of education needs to change how we, how we bring educators in. There's no reason why he's not a full-time teacher or a full-time um, administrator simply because he doesn't have the credentials. Mm -hmm. And yet we have people who have the credentials and are robbing our kids and doing nothing but simply because they're really good at interviews yeah. and they have the paperwork. Yeah. And one of the things that I'm, I struggle with is that is the fact that we have, and the thing is that I was trying to decide if I was going to go back to school to get my doctorate and if I was going to do this. And I did start for a little while. Then I was like, I want to go to education law school and get my educational law degree. So many things I want to do. But I say to myself, we have lots of people in leadership with real titles behind their name and our kids are still failing. Yeah. A friend of mine, she just went, I don't, I, you probably didn't, she wasn't at the school then, but she just finished her doctrine 
And this was in her thesis, but it was it was included in her thesis. And she put words to what I've been saying for a while is that we are continuing to use the same model to teach urban kids that people in suburbia use, but they don't work for our kids. And that's why we're failing. What I mean by that is something as small as that I use this example all the time. And I hope if I say it long enough, somebody will catch on. It's the idea that if I live in a suburban neighborhood and I have to take the bus, they're only going to give me a bus if I'm like, I think a mile and 0.4 away from the bus stop. That works for a suburban area. My son can walk to now. I'm, I'm still with the stranger danger, the kidnapping, all that. I still worry about that. But for the most part, he can walk to the bus stop. But a quarter of a mile, I mean, a mile and a quarter in Hartford and New Haven and certain parts in Boston, it, yeah. that's not okay. It's not safe. Yeah. It's the reason why you see cars, truckloads of cars waiting at bus stops for kids to get out so they can go to school. So you're now deciding what school your kid goes to based on the bus. Mm-hmm. So you might send them further out because they get a bus or closer in, but who's waiting at the bus stop with that? But because that works for suburbia, we just, we've accepted that as a, as a viable distance between the bus stops and, and, and it's not working for us. That's a small thing, but it's a big thing for all the things that we're, you know, that we're dealing with. For example, the curriculum. If you don't have a boxed curriculum of some kind that you can turn over every time a new teacher comes in and every time you're retraining people who you know that they're going to leave within a year or two and go to suburbia after they play with our kids and make our kids their guinea pigs, learn how to become great teachers and then walk away. So you gotta have some kind of curriculums that are that are either um, online based, but with the teacher facilitating, but something that no matter who walks in the door, they can work with it. And if you're constantly getting new teachers, so they can build relationships and spend less time worrying about a curriculum, they can walk in and just teach. Amen. And those are things we can do that don't require us to have some kind of big movement. That's just something simple. But in other districts, you can give people the autonomy of creating these great lessons, and eventually they'll get there. Because they've been there so long, they've been teaching in that same um, thing, you know, same grade level for so many years. I did that for years, but that's because I was committed to what I was doing, and that's okay. Yeah. And so that's just something I think we need to really look into: is how are we bringing people in, and then what are we doing with knowing that they're not, they may not be there that long. Yep. You know what I mean? What does that look like? And people think that's because of leadership, and it's not always because of that. Sometimes it's because of that, but a lot of times it's just that people, like you said, walked in and said, "This is real." And I'm not ready for the real. Or like I told a teacher, it was a white teacher. He was struggling in the class. And I said, when was the last time you had to change yourself for any space you walked into? When was the last time? As black people, we change every time we go somewhere. We look around the room. Can I wear my hair like this? Can I wear my earrings? Do I have to code switch? How do I dress? Can I, be, can I speak up in these meetings? What can I do in this space? Other groups walk in like, you. I am who I am. And you'll either change for me or, or not. They go, into, they go into jobs they don't know how to do. And then get paid to leave them absorbent amounts of money after they fail. But we're not allowed that luxury. And so I think it's important that we recognize that we have the ability to change the system, but we got to actually change the system. And it can't keep saying, especially as people of color, what we like to do is to prove our worth. We want to use the same thing everybody else does to say, we can do that too. Our kids are stupid. Our kids can do just like those kids. That's true but maybe they need something different because culturally they're in a different place and that's okay. Different doesn't mean better. Yeah. Different doesn't mean better. Just means what does this child need? Period. And so that, that, so folks, we are about 15 minutes in. I am with the fabulous Nikki Reed. Um, This is the Chronicles of Mr. Um, yeah, we're going to remix it a little different this week because, to be honest, it's just a real conversation with a fantastic educator. Um, and, and just that, like, one, authenticity, to be able to be your true 100% self. What does that mean? 
and to know that, hey, you can be you and there will be no repercussions. Or there may be, but deciding that you don't care. And I don't mean don't care in arrogance, but understanding that there may be repercussions. Yeah. Like one of the things that I'm learning in this part is hard because I do have a lot to say. You know that. You know who I am and I have have things that I want to share and and things that come that I feel like are valuable to where I am. Yeah. But sometimes people see it as a threat. They don't see that as the loyalty I have, that if you allow me, have you ever watched the movie, Um, not Coach Carter, what's the one where the boy in Texas playing basketball? Was it the, with the white coach? Yes. Yeah. And he says, he says, come on, man, you got to let us loose on these cats. You're not letting us play our own game. We can't win playing their game. Let us do us. Yeah. And that's the problem people have. You want to put people in your box because you can control them in the box, but you're not getting the true self and you're not getting what you hired them for. So you're getting a piece and it's broken and it doesn't produce what you want. And that's why you're not getting what you need because you are worried that if they're not in the box, you can't control them. But the reality is, is if they are as big as you think they are, you can't control them anyway. So you might as well let them be them and fix, you know, help them with the parts they need to work on. Everybody needs help, but understand that people have come this far because they have something to offer you. And they're, and for me, I'm a very loyal person, which sometimes works to my demise because I, want to stick with it and I want to work through it. And what I've learned over the years is the the fact that I think it's not just me. I think black people in general, we are very much like all for the cause. We'll help out. We'll stay after because it's a cause. The problem is we don't write our names on things. We don't say we created it, but other groups do. And they make sure people know their names. So when I helped to start the high school, my name is not on anything because I thought we were a team, but we weren't. We were a team of one who decided that that was going to be their, you know, that was their going to be their legacy. Yeah. And I didn't understand at the time. And when I, by the time I realized, I was like, that's why one day I want my own table because I don't want to have to ask for a seat at a table I've already created. Ooh, Nikki, Miss Reed. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, I remember walking through that school and it was the hair for me, like seeing the different ways you wore your crown because at my former school, didn't see that. So to see you rock it so proudly, I was inspired to being new to the school to then with that group of sixth grade kiddos, like I said to Mr. Craggett, to just be me. And like you mentioned, the whole issue of being in the box to control the box. Once I was in front of those kiddos, I was just like, kiddos, if you want to do what I care about is you learning math and science. How you sit, what you do with your legs, how you're, you're bouncing or fidgeting for certain kids. If it's not distracting and, and causing other kiddos not to be able to focus, I don't care. That doesn't bother me. If you want to go to the back of the room and do that there, but still get your work done, that's cool with me. If you are a little Caden and you want to go off to the side and have your fidget spinner and do your things, that's cool. As long as it doesn't distract someone else and keep them from working, that's fine. But you're totally right about, I was at a school or at a coming from a charter school where a lot of it was control. And Mr. Bond helped Well, me that's why I left. Yeah, that's the reason I left. I was there for one year. I left for two reasons. One, spiritually, I felt there was a problem. I was like, something's up here. I had a person walk in the building. It was like, what is going on here? That's one problem. Yeah. But what ended up happening for me was their day was so long that I would. I actually was one of the first people they started maternity leave for because they hadn't had it. Nobody had had a baby yet. And I was going to come back. They asked me to come back, but I had to come back so late because they were still doing the 530 thing for teachers. I said, I can't function with a child and leave work. If I leave, get off at 530, I still got to do my work. But the other person problem was they didn't value who they hired. Yeah. 
Yeah. Here was the problem. You have hired a person who's great at classroom management and building relationships. You are having chaos in the room next door and you are a leader in this place and you refuse to ask me for help. But yet you expect me to trust you as a leader, but you won't ask me for anything. And yet you hired me for that very reason. Like you literally gave me some of the worst kids so that you in the interview to prove. And then when you gave me the kids, you purposely gave me those children because you felt like I could, I could help them. And so, but yet you wouldn't come to me or help. So I was like, you know what? But that was the first place I left where I felt like um, I wasn't valued. But later I stayed at places probably longer than I should have because of fear. Mm -hmm. So I stayed one place because one, one, at one time my position was changed, all that, nothing I did just was. And I ended up staying because I felt like what I was being led to. I felt the Lord was leading me to do that. But the second time I could have left. And I remember one day driving down the street and I was complaining about something. I promised I heard the Lord say, I don't know what you're mad for. I told you could leave. And I was like, excuse me? I said, next time. I'm, I'm gonna be ready next time. I'll be ready. Yeah. And that's what I did. I was ready. I, when I finally did leave, I was like, I don't care if I have, I didn't have another job at the time. I had interviewed, had no job, but I was like, it is what it is. Yeah. I used to say this all the time. I used to say, I'll go work at McDonald's before I before I be here and be be treated badly. But as I grew older and more mature, it wasn't about the money, it was about letting God lead me. Because sometimes you stay in a place because you gotta learn. It's some things mm -hmm. you gotta learn about yourself. Sometimes yeah. it's not even about you, it's about other people needing to learn some things. So I, I try not to just, you know, do it out of emotion and do it because what I, you know, what I need to do. But one thing you mentioned about like in the classroom, there is a power to the classroom. There are a lot of reasons why people won't leave and don't want to go be le do leaders, be leadership, because you have way more power over the progress of things in your own classroom. But people don't realize that. And it's really true. Yeah. The other thing is, is that when you talk about kids sitting places and doing different things, I want my teachers to do that. But what I find is people don't want to know how to find the level of structure within that. So then you either have chaos or we're like this. So yeah. you got the people who are like, okay, they're sitting under the table, but they got their jackets over their head. You can't see what they're doing. That's yeah. not okay. Yeah. You know, or you got the people who are like, they can't move from the desk. So like trying to find that. And somebody mentioned this to me. Um, uh, my goodness. Good, Rebecca. Yeah. She was saying to me, you got to be mindful, Nick, because when we fuss at our kids and, you know, we, we come and bring that old school, just like, you know, build relationships. People try to mimic that, but they don't realize it's not just me fussing. I also went to their games. I know them from church. I see them in other spots. So yeah, I'm fussing, but I'm also being like, now get over here because I need to get you some new shoes because that's the mess what you got on right there. Or I'm telling you, why does your head look like that? We got to fix that. Let's let's go down to Mr. Sheik so she can break your head. Like we're doing all of that, but all they see is this part and they don't want to do the work that goes with the rest. Like the keeping them after for detention, giving up your lunch sometimes. They don't want to do those pieces. They want to only do the piece that they think is just you in control. And that's trying to get people to see that is much harder with, than, than it seems. You... Number one, uh, great shout out to Dr. R. Good, uh, yes. fantastic leader. Uh, yes, she would is. love to have her on the pod as well, but she's yeah, yeah. a lot of things, so I, I understand. But yeah. she she was one who, when I first came to Connecticut, helped me see more than anything is the relationship that you have with those kiddos. And like you mentioned, yeah. in the classroom is important, but going to those football games, going to those soccer yeah. games, going to those things outside the classroom that the kiddos see like, oh, Mr. Pierre, oh, there's Wooly. <laughs> yep. Oh, Wooly likes this, Wooly likes that. Wooly's cheering. He's, oh, I can hear him from the stands cheering for me. Mm -hmm. well, um, so that when I do come into the classroom and he will give me like, nah, kid, don't do that. And it'll sound stern to a, a visitor. But because of that relationship that we've created, like they understand like, oh, there's love in that sternness as opposed to someone else who comes in, gives that sternness like, I don't know you. Who are you? Exactly. And people, and that's, so, uh, so somebody recently, 
who is a leader in a, in a, in a charter school, wrote on, on Facebook. And I understood what he was saying, but I wanted to write, I wrote this long old speech, but I, I never posted it. But what he was <laughs> saying is people are leaving the suburban school, leaving inner city schools because, and they're being recruited by suburban schools. And we need this kid, our kids to stop being so disrespectful so they won't leave. Sir. So now we blame the kids. Yeah. We blame the kids because we don't have relationships with them. We blame the kids because they are living in worlds that you never would succumb from. And then we got the people who, especially people like uh, our people of color, who think, well, I live like that and I came out great. Well, more power to you. That is awesome. Right, but right. not everybody has your story. And my biggest problem is we have decided that because you are an adult, you should be respected. I think there's some piece to that. But I also think you have to build a relationship. When I used to put kids out of my room and say, uh-uh, you need to stay in all you need a break. And I would have the door open. I say, you come back when you're ready. But then you're not going to do that in here. Ms. Reed, please let me in. Let me in. Come on. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll go back to work. Why? Because we have a relationship and they yeah. wanted to work for me and they respected yeah. me. And they didn't want to be outside my room yeah. because that's what I, 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 I built with them. And the ones that weren't, I'll never forget a girl years ago. She was, she was too old to be in there. She was like 15 in sixth grade. She had no business being there, but it wasn't her fault. Mm-hmm. she was like an after-school specialist. She had knocked down the tiles out of the ceiling and was walking past the kids. I was like, who knocked the tiles out? All the other kids were just standing there. She literally walked past every kid and said, tell her, I dare you, say something. I was like, that's what we're doing now? <laughs> so then after she said that, I said, I heard it, it doesn't matter, she's going, but I said, Jackie, what are you doing? And I think she told me to shut the blank up. I said, word, we doing that now? Oh. I didn't talk, She, but it was okay though, because for two weeks we didn't talk. Mm. She didn't say another word because she knew she was wrong. She humbled. She didn't say anything. So we talked later. And I said, Jackie, why you do that? She said, because, Miss Reed, it came out of my mouth before I knew I didn't know what else to do. She said, I'd already said it, and I didn't know how to fix it. And then I said to her, why? Because I had told all, her and two other siblings. I said, why are you struggling so much? She said, my mom said that she messed up with the two of us. She's going to fix my sister now. And then this child, her mother would often take her out of school to go fight. Like, like you don't know her story. Right, right. So she's living a grown person's life and you expect her to come into class and just sit down and just do whatever you tell her for no, with no background, no reason. No rationale. Just because yep. you said it. No rationale, yeah. no engagement, yep. just because you think you're so special standing in front of the room. Yeah. When a car dealer doesn't sell cars, he don't blame the customer. He figures out another way to sell cars. But that's what we do. Yeah. A kid don't want to listen to your class. You, I heard a guy at PMT training said, we are the only paid people in the room. The kids aren't paid to be here. We're the only one getting paid for this job. And yet we think just from our mere presence, they should be happy to get the education. Why? <sighs> Why? It doesn't work like that. No. And I know that people think, oh, now you're putting the onus on the teachers. It's on both. But there's a lot more on us. Yeah. I have to figure my job is to teach. So if I can't figure out how to reach the kids and I'm not doing my job, isn't that your whole job? Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? And it takes humility. It takes a, like, I have a girl right now. She's giving me the business. She is giving me the business. I'm sure people look and be like, well, if you're the principal, she's doing that to No, it's because she well, goes home every day and she is in charge. So, and the, some of the things she's saying, she's telling the truth. She's absolutely telling the truth. She's just saying it all the wrong way. So I'm not going to crush her fire. But what I am going to do is keep coming back around to it. Like yesterday, at the end of the day, she was after school for like 30 minutes because her parent had picked her up. Uh-huh. And I said, I just casually said, you know, you owe me some time on Monday, right? She went, mm-hmm. I said, oh, it's funny. She's like, I'm just saying. But she'll give me the time. She's going to give it to me. But the point is, it's coming back around and understanding that my pride can't take over in a place that where she can't get what she needs.